Welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast, the farm management news and information podcast from the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. I'm Jim Minter, Director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today is my colleague, Dr. Michael Langemeyer, who's the Associate Director of the Center, and also Dr. Brad Lubin from the University of Nebraska, where he is an Extension Associate Professor and a Policy Specialist. He's also the Director of the North Central Extension Risk Management Education Center, which is located at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, Nebraska. So thanks for joining us, Brad. We appreciate the opportunity to have you. It'd be the second time this year. We had you back for the Top right. Farmer Conference in January, and now we've got you on a podcast. Well, it's a privilege to uh, get to visit again, and as long as uh, there's something to brag about from Nebraska, I'm happy to, uh, to join and talk. So the reason we wanted Brad to join us is he is a policy specialist, and this is the time of year where producers have to make some decisions with respect to their farm program decisions for the 2024 crop year. Uh, specifically, producers across the Corn Belt are thinking about what they want to do with respect to signing up for the ARC or the PLC programs. And I thought it'd be useful, Brad, to kind of walk through mm -hmm. that decision process. And I think to start off with, uh, you looked at what the projected 2023 crop payments payment rates might be that would be paid in 2024. Right. Uh, yes, I actually went back here to sort of set the stage for why this decision in 24 is different. Uh, in 23, we had an annual decision to make between ARC and PLC, and whether producers remember for sure what they signed up for or not, if you look at current projections, it was essentially nil. It, it didn't matter much. Uh, with prices settling out where they're at, or at least as currently projected, they're projected to settle at prices far above where the safety net would have kicked in. Think of corn with a 370 effective reference price. But a 485 projected price, this was as of last fall, uh, late last fall and, and maybe November's supply and demand reports. Updated reports would change that modestly, but it's not enough to consider uh, potential PLC payments. And so uh, the expected payments coming in 2024, based on the 23 program, uh, are nil. Even over there on the ARC uh, program, uh, look at how big a revenue loss it would take, the last column. How big a revenue loss it would take relative to expected prices and trend yields. That's how big a loss it would take in order to trigger an ARC payment. Generally speaking, we're not going to see 25 to 35 percent revenue losses in any commodities to the point that we're going to see ARC payments. It likely does happen some places in some isolated counties. We have a few counties that might have had drought losses that bad uh, that would trigger uh, arc because of, of yield losses. But generally speaking, the 23 program didn't provide much safety uh, below expectations. That's a very different scenario to say, but 24 matters uh, because the safety net actually gets higher, grows higher in 24. So Brad, if I yeah. want to stop you right there and, yeah. and just talk about that for a little bit, because I think that's something that maybe not a lot of people are aware of and maybe walk us through the how right. that comes about that that safety net, in fact, does get a little larger right. uh, in 2024 relative to what it has been in recent years. Yeah, well, in fact, if we if we think about the farm bill debate that has started but hasn't really gained much traction yet, there's been a lot of talk amongst ag groups about we need to strengthen the safety net, maybe raise reference prices. Uh, market prices have gone up, but so have production costs, which means that break-evens are higher. The safety net's still down where it's at means that that we don't have as much safety. Well, in fact, we have a higher safety net in 2024 because of the 
what we call the effective reference price equation that was built into the 2018 Farm Bill. In, in short order, essentially, there's a statutory reference price that serves as the minimum. And on that first row for corn, that's $3.70 a bushel. That can grow as high as 115% of that statutory reference price. That's 426. If the five-year Olympic average price, so if prices go up high enough, long enough, that the five-year Olympic average price goes high enough, such that 85% of that is higher than the reference price, then reference prices go up. That's a lot of math to say, look, there's a there's five years of, of market prices in there throughout the high and low to calculate an Olympic average. That Olympic average for corn is 471. 471 times 85% is 401. The reference price for corn in 2024 is 401, not 370. That's a good 8% or so higher than it was last year. It does help. It's maybe not as high as what some groups would like, but it certainly helps. Yeah, I think that's a surprise to a lot of people because they hadn't been paying attention necessarily to how that marketing year average, that Olympic average actually worked. So walk through the prices. So 401 becomes the effective reference price in 2024 for corn. The effective reference price for soybeans goes up to, what, 926, whereas it was at 840, yeah. right? 926 over 840, that's that's as well, close to uh, just short of 10% uh, uh, or so, or around 10% in, in terms of an increase. So it's substantial. Uh, the and one commodity, if you have any wheat base, uh, well, guess what? We're still stuck at the same uh, reference we had because wheat prices haven't been high enough to uh, to trigger a change. So we've got a higher reference price for corn and soybeans, and that's significant. And it makes the decision for us in the 2024 crop year more challenging, right? Uh, that's correct. PLC is a bigger safety net in 2024 than it was in 2023. But so is ARC, and that's the, the next discussion here. Yeah, so let's, let's take a look at that because the effective ARC price goes up as well. In uh, prior years, well, it, I think the new effective reference price is, what, 417 based on the computations, right? Right. Uh, take into fact that, that ARC is this moving average revenue safety net, a moving average yield, a moving average price. We call that the benchmark yield, the benchmark price. That produces a benchmark revenue. You take that times 86%, you, get, you calculate this guarantee. Well, the moving average yield is a five-year trend-adjusted Olympic average yield. Lots of math to say that the moving average yield actually should be very close to what you would expect county yields to be for the given year. So let's take that as sort of a standard given. What's the moving average price that goes into the benchmark price? It's the same five-year Olympic average price with one adjustment where we take this year's effective reference price, we throw it into the equation when pri other prices are otherwise low, we then calculate an Olympic average. That Olympic average is 485, not the 471 that we saw for, for uh, price loss coverage calculation, it's 485. 86% is where the, the ARC guarantee would kick in. If I attribute that all to price, just for some simplicity here, 86% of 485 is 417. In other words, at trend yields, expected yields, average yields for the county, ARC would kick in at 417 for corn. PLC, as I just referenced, kicks in at 401. That's your new sort of reference point for uh, 2024. 
different than what we saw in 2023. And you've got a similar story, um, maybe not quite as extreme, uh, with respect to soybeans as well, right? Right. The soybeans, when you work through all those equations, the uh, the effective price for ARC is 956 a bushel. Compare that to what we just calculated for PLC for soybeans uh, back at 926. There's They're both higher. There is some advantage for uh, for ARC in that calculation. Yeah, so starting right here, and I think listeners are kind of wondering, okay, so right away, we're probably leaning a little bit towards the ARC program versus the PLC program because of those slightly higher reference prices, um, effective or f- effective prices right. for the two programs. We, we would think, and we could say, generally speaking, that at least based on the price component, ARC will definitely kick in faster than PLC. All right, the but there's some other considerations. Really, yeah, yeah, the decision about which one's really better is still more complicated. Yeah, exactly. In terms of which one kicks in faster. So look at PLC again, the first column. That, that was the effective reference price. That's 401. These projected prices that you see in the middle of that table, that's a projected price from baseline forecast last fall. Uh, that's not a, I'm not making that as a market forecast. I'm not suggesting it is a market forecast. Uh, it's not far from what USDA has published uh, a couple of weeks ago in their Ag Outlook uh, uh, materials, but roughly 450 corn. We could debate whether the market really is offering us 450 corn for the new crop. That's that's a different question. But if the projection marketing year ahead was roughly 450 corn, it would take a 10% drop from expectations before we would trigger PLC payments that start at 401. If that same roughly 450 price for corn is what we expect, and we expect trend yields in the county, then it would take a 7% drop in revenue before we would trigger an ARC payment. So 10% drop to trigger PLC, 7% drop to trigger ARC. That's where you can confidently say, whatever your price projection is, you can calculate the percentage drop that you'd have to take before you'd see the safety net kick in and ARC will kick in faster. There is the adjustment. ARC is also yield dependent. Higher yields would translate into a lower effective price protection. Lower yields would translate into higher effective price protection. But in terms of PLC requires a 10% price drop. ARC requires a 7% revenue drop. ARC should kick in faster than PLC for most commodities. And then I guess if you think about the market action that's taken place recently with the weakness we've seen in prices, that probably makes PLC maybe just a little more attractive. Do you agree with that? If, if uh, yeah, if we, if the weakness that we see in the markets recently translates into some downward revisions in, in marketing year average price projections, that means we're closer to the money in both of those. Um, ARC may still kick in first, but the closer to the money we get in both of those, the more, the more we value, not just are they in the money, but how deep in the money are they? And ARC provides substantial revenue support. It provides substantial revenue support on what we would say is the first 10% of revenue losses. Once you hit the guarantee, it pays dollar for dollar on those losses calculated at a county level, remember but it pays dollar for dollar in those losses, but only for the first 10%. 
once you hit the trigger for PLC, it pays and it pays all the way down to the loan rate, which if we're, we're asking a trivia question for corn, that's 220 a bushel. I hope to gosh, there's no uh, price distributions out there that imagine 220 a bushel is a pound. Yeah, I think that's outside the range at this point, fortunately. That's right. That's right. So that's, so, a, that, that's, that's kind of a roundabout way of saying that potentially, if we get into a really negative scenario, yes. the payments from PLC could potentially be bigger than what the ARC payments could be. Yes, if you try and compare the two, ARC wins for a while. And if losses get really big, price losses get really big, PLC ultimately wins. Yeah, good point. So let's take a look at yeah. uh, some comparisons. And this is actually based on some work from uh, Gary Schnitke at the University of Illinois. And what he did is he compared uh, PLC potential payments under a variety of yield scenarios. This is based on, I think, Champaign County in Illinois, so central Illinois. So he's got yields uh, on one <laughs> axis, and he's got marketing year average prices on another axis. And he's taken estimated PLC payments minus the ARC County estimated payments at those various scenarios to look at you know, when would when would PLC be better than Arc County and right. vice versa? Right. So so think about how the two equations work. And this this table really gives us a nice illustration of what combination of yield or price or yield and price losses uh, pay out. So you calculate the actual payments and try and compare where the payments uh, uh, switch. This is a calculation of the difference in payments. So it's a direct sort of measure of which program ultimately pays more. The first thing to note maybe if if we started at expected prices and expected yields, we're over there in that 445 plus range for prices. If we hit expected yields, which I'm not sure what the benchmark yield is 225 in the county. If you had expected prices and we hit our expected yields, nothing pays. You know, don't expect a, a cash flow out of the program. If you have loss in yield, or you have losses in price below those expectations, ARC tends to pay first. And thus those numbers, the first numbers that show up there are negative. That's PLC payments minus ARC payments. ARC payments are bigger than PLC payments. Actually, ARC payments are positive and PLC payments don't exist for a little bit there. ARC wins the scenario or wins the analysis if you're talking about modest yield, modest price losses. As soon as you talk big price losses, fall below four bucks and PLC starts to pay, fall below about mid $3 and PLC pays more than ARC. And suddenly you're talking about uh, uh, deep price losses translate into bigger PLC payments. And the deeper you go, the bigger that gets. So you can imagine the scenario where there are some modest price losses, modest as in 10% plus, where PLC pays, but ARC doesn't because we don't have, because we have great yields at the county level. That's sort of the top row or two of that table. You can imagine lots of scenarios where we have small price losses or small yield losses or both where ARC pays the most. And then you can imagine go far enough to the left there, very big price losses translate into bigger PLC payments. So for listeners, we're looking at some charts here as we discuss the uh, farm program options with Dr. Lubin. You can download the charts 
that we are looking at during the course of the podcast and look at them in a little more detail. But in particular, this chart is kind of helpful because it, it lets you look at the possible scenarios when the two programs might pay out. And, you know, Brad, I guess as I look at it and I kind of summarize a little bit, uh, you know, there's you have to get pretty bearish about corn prices before you really think the PLC program looks better on this on this particular chart. Yeah, it would take. So it would take about a 10% loss to start worrying about payments in general. It would take about a 25% loss before PLC starts looking like the, the biggest choice. Michael, as you think about this table and maybe think about break-evens for a lot of folks, what, what's your perspective? Uh, well, that's not, uh, that's not good news. Uh, you look no. at break-evens for corn in Indiana, and, and this would be very consistent with Gary Schnicki's break-evens. We're looking at break-evens for corn around 525. Now that's full costing, so there's all opportunity costs in there, but that's a lot higher uh, than the than prices we've been talking about today. I want to make a couple points related to this comparison, and, and, and Brad brought this up, but I want to reinforce this. Uh, sometimes people think, well, if the price gets below $4, that means PLC is going to be better. No, not necessarily. Uh, as Brad indicated, that price has to get down to that 350 or below uh, range before the PLC is actually better uh, than the Arc County, and, and so and so that's a very important point to make out. Another another point I wanted to make is uh, uh, this 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 uh, sheet that we're currently looking at. Uh, there's a tool on the University of Illinois website. Uh, FarmDoc website where you can download this tool, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of states where you can look at this, uh, you know, for, for your individual counties. And so, uh, Indiana, for example, uh, the, 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 this information is available. And then if you look at the Western Corn Belt, uh, there's a tool in Kansas State, right, Brad? That's right. There's there's a similar tool that would uh, give you a table. An important thing about the table, it helps you understand what the possibilities are. Neither of these tools has a probability on those data points. Uh, so you've got to think about, now I understand what my exposure might be. Um, is that really a likely scenario? Um, yeah, is, really the it, middle <laughs> columns are more probable. As you go to the yeah. far left and far right, the probability of those prices occurring are, are, right. are, are not that high. And I would also note the further east you go in the Corn Belt, you guys are right there close to the middle of it. The further east you go, the more sort of natural hedge you have, prices and yields tend to tend to inversely correlate. Uh, you you spend more time right in the middle and you spend more time sort of on a diagonal of lower price, higher, higher yields translate into lower prices, lower prices translate into higher yields. Um, the expectation that we had have, that we would have sharply, sharply lower yields or sharply, sharply lower prices those probabilities get pretty small. Now, having said that, what's the probability right now of corn prices falling another buck? It, it can't be too high. On the other hand, if we asked that question last spring, we wouldn't have expected it to be very high either, and look what happened. So it's within the realm of possibility, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to put a probability on it. Yeah, good point. So you've taken a look at the same thing with respect to soybeans, and again, relying on the data from uh, the University of Illinois, Gary Schnitke, and, and looking at a Champaign County scenario. The chart looks kind of similar, but maybe a little bit different. Do you agree with that? The, you know, fundamentally, it looks the same. Low, modest yield losses, modest price losses, 
uh, ARC tends to win. PLC tends to win, obviously, again, the deeper you go with, uh, with price losses. And it would take about an $8 uh, soybean price uh, to trigger PLC payments that are bigger than ARC unless you had far above average yields. So, so ARC wins for roughly the first dollar or so of, of potential price loss on soybeans as well. Yeah, good unless point. You have, unless you have substantially above average yields. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's, let's see if we can get down to maybe giving some guidance with respect to how to think about this a little bit. You bet. So when I've tried to summarize ARC, it's convenient to think of that equation, and it's a benchmark yield times a benchmark price gives you a benchmark revenue times 86% gives you this ARC guarantee. And then it covers the first 10%, so it covers this index from 86 down to 76. And we like to sort of think about that in relation to the crop insurance decisions we have. Well, what level of protection do I buy and how do these sort of stack on top of each other? And that's relevant to a question about the supplemental coverage option in a moment. But it's also worth noting, these are based on different prices. The ARC percentages, the ARC benchmark, is based on this five-year adjusted Olympic average price. Uh, the PLC program is based on a five-year Olympic average price, 85% of. Crop insurance is based on this year's uh, projected price, base price during the price discovery period. They are different prices. So even though the indexes say, oh, they kick in at the same percentage level, it's the same percentage of a different price. They're not quite, yeah. the, not quite the same in percent of coverage. That, if that's a good numbers, point. We, yeah, we tend to forget that. <clears throat> if if I played with the numbers, well, it'll show up here in a couple of graphs. If I if I play with the numbers, where does ARC really kick in for corn? If you use today's, well, yesterday's estimate of what the price discovery period average has been so far, uh, ARC doesn't kick in at 86 and kick out at 76. It kicks in at about 89% of what the current insurance price is which means it would kick out at 79. So it's just, it's not quite the same, uh, it's not quite the same spot on the price index. Uh, it kicks in different. Uh, the uh, over on soybeans, it's closer to 82%. Soybean price projection is a little bit higher. The guarantee is a little bit lower. Uh, they just don't kick in quite the same spot. And that's, that's important to remember as we try and figure out how do I perfectly match that up with insurance you got to remember what they're calculated on. So one other program to kind of mention briefly, and that is the ARC-IC program. Right. And not yeah. very many people in Nebraska choose this. Not many people in Indiana or Illinois choose it either. No, I it, it always gets typically one side or even one footnote in one side of ARC-IC is available. Uh, it combines all of the program commodities on a farm number into one safety net. It does protect farm level risk. That's a farm level price and a national yield, or excuse me, a farm level yield and a national price. Uh, so it does protect a farm level risk, much like individual crop insurance would, but it combines every crop on the farm together. Uh, because it's farm level, one expects it to trigger more often than a county-based trigger would. 
but because it might trigger more often at the farm level, there's also a payment adjustment factor and it only pays on 65% of base acres instead of 85. Theoretically, when they originally calculated the budget impact, those two things balanced each other out. And that's how you ended up with the percentages we did. But it just isn't very popular and it's not likely to be very popular with producers unless you have some preconceived ideas about what your risk is on the farm versus the county or versus averages as a whole. It's never been highly uh, sought after and and it, looking ahead, it, it just rarely is. Yeah, for most producers uh, here in the Corn Belt, the fact that it pays on 65% of base acres makes that program relatively unattractive. The only time it really suddenly piqued everybody's interest, uh, when you go into the spring and you have real fears about prevented plant, right? If I if I fear that I can't get any of my farm planted or I can't get a substantial portion of my farm planted, then I'm already penciling in major losses on the farm and suddenly ARC IC looks like a winner. Yeah, you're right. If you predict anything like a normal spring and a normal planting cycle and and close to normal precipitation, it's hard to make it show up good. Yeah, good good point. All right, so let's you you, you gave us a point here on, on one of your slides, uh, Brad, that talked about the crop insurance risk management considerations. And we're going to do a companion podcast to this yep. that focuses more heavily on the crop insurance side. But there are some things to think about with respect to crop insurance and program choice. Right. So we've talked about ARC. Then we talked about PLC and remember that. It's a, it's a price safety net. For practical purposes, the PLC that kicks in at 401 corn is like a put option. Uh, it provides downside price protection. It has no relationship to, to yield results. It might match up well with whatever crop insurance plans you have to cover your yield risk or to cover your revenue risk and so forth. Um, but the other particular facet of PLC is if you're enrolled in PLC, you also have the option of something called supplemental coverage option, SCO. That's a county-based crop insurance policy that we'll talk about in a bit. But SCO is available to you if you're in PLC. It's not available if you're in ARC. Well, SCO covers from 86% down to whatever crop insurance coverage level you buy individually. That sounds an awful lot like ARC that goes from 86 down to 76, and thus you can't have both. I may have just mentioned that, but those are tied to two different prices. They may not be exactly the same. Regardless, you can't have both. So some of the consideration here is, should I go in ARC or should I go in PLC? The decision might really be, should I go in ARC or should I go in PLC and add SCO to it? And the economics of that might be different than PLC alone. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think for a lot of people, especially in the Corn Belt, if you were thinking about PLC, it probably would be uh, so that you could purchase SCO. Yeah. And, you know, when I tried to summarize it and what I've talked about across Nebraska is to say, it's it's a minimally used product in Nebraska, at least to date. Uh, maybe it takes a few producers that are interested or a few agents that that uh, know how to sell it, uh, but we've had limited participation to date. I think when we talked at the Top Farmer uh, Conference in, in Purdue, the percentage of respondents to the poll that suggested 
their interest in SEO is is higher, uh, substantially higher. Still a minority, but substantially higher. So maybe there's maybe there's more interest, and particularly more interest in counties where the where the uh, where sort of the county result is is a is a more effective safety net than than what we might have in a in a more risky environment out here in Nebraska. If yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. I th the other thing I've run into here in in the Eastern Corn Belt, Brad, is um, we definitely have some crop insurance firms that are encouraging pretty mm -hmm. strong consideration of SCO. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll, and we'll talk a little more detail about that a little later. If, but if you're going to do that, you're probably going to change your strategy a little bit with respect to which revenue, uh, which revenue product or which revenue uh, coverage level that you choose, right? Right. right. In, in a more risky environment like we have here in Nebraska, I don't think we have many producers that want to swap out farm level coverage for SCO. Um, we're not all buying eighty five percent, mind you, but we're not we're not buying down on individual coverage just so that we can fill the gap with SCO. But if we're thinking about how the farm program, the crop insurance program interact, if SCO is of interest to you, then then you got to think carefully about your farm program decision too. And I've, and I've got a description on this slide that this is sort of the economist caveat that that means I don't have a good analysis to explain it any differently. Um, ARC versus PLC is a decision you have to make at the Farm Service Agency office. If you're interested in SCO, SCO is something you have to buy from your crop insurance agent. So it requires producer paid premium. But like other federal crop insurance products, it's also federally supported. And expected indemnities over time, theoretically exceed producer paid premium. So it's hard to determine what the optimal level of coverage is for a product that both reduces risks, reduces risk, and expects to return you money. So should producers buy SCO or not? I I can't give you a good answer on that. I think maybe we'll talk about this more a little later. But I think uh, my my initial reaction to that, uh, Brad, would be to say if you're going to go the PLC route you probably do want to think about SCO. That's kind of yeah. how I look at it. I would agree. Yeah. It's kind of, so it's kind of a two-step decision process. Yeah. So you look at an example here, at least a, a, a limited one, right? So maybe right. I, share you those know, results. We, we pulled an example to try and illustrate SCO and actually the enhanced coverage option, or ECO, for producers that hadn't necessarily been that familiar with it before. And given the small percentage, that's most producers yet. Um, whatever coverage you buy, and the overwhelmingly the most popular policy is revenue protection. If I'm here in Nebraska, the most popular uh, coverage level is 75, uh, but 70 or 75 are pretty common. Whatever coverage level you buy, when you buy insurance, you're left with a major deductible. How much loss are you willing to absorb? You could buy up to 85, but you choose some level of deductible that you're sort of happy with. SCO provides that opportunity to add this county-based uh, component, county-based trigger that raises your protection level to 86%. You still face a substantial deductible, but you cut into it dramatically. And for producers that buy lower levels of insurance coverage or for producers that... Uh, are in counties where the county result is a pretty good uh, safety net to protect their farm. 
uh, SCO looks pretty exciting. Then we have something called ECO, the enhanced coverage option, which now kicks in at either 90 or 95% and covers the gap down to where SCO is. Uh, you have the ability to really uh, ensure away a substantial part of your uh, expected uh, uh, revenue uh, production levels. So you can get that deductible down there pretty small. If you remember that one of these is farm level coverage and SCO and ECO are county-based policies. And if we stacked the farm program in there, ARC and PLC add to this protection, but they're tied to different price triggers, et cetera. It all does fit together to contribute to the bottom line. Uh, they all trigger on something slightly different, it seems. So uh, one, one wants to be careful when trying to compare the math. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and uh, for our listeners, uh, we're looking at a chart that, that Brad put together that kind of summarizes these different uh, effective uh, deductible levels that you're exposed to and your various coverages. But the challenge, as Brad just pointed out, is you're combining risk management at the individual farm level with risk management at the county level. And that combination, you can, you can show it on a graph, Yep. But there's a caveat, and that is the two things aren't covering exactly the same thing. The two things are correlated, but they're not perfectly correlated. And so right. that's the challenge. Well, Brad, that kind of wraps up our discussion of the farm program decision. I think right. I'm going to kind of turn to Michael here and say, well, you know, you've been kind of quiet. He's <laughs> been thinking through the program options. Yes, and yeah. as you get those phone calls and emails from folks uh, with respect to what should I do? What's going to be your response, uh, thinking about producers here in the Eastern Corn Belt in particular? I think Arc County is definitely the option for soybeans because that PL, PLC price, even the revised PLC price, uh, or the, the, different, the, the higher reference price that Brad was talking about, is still really low. And so I would go with Arc County with, with soybeans definitively. I think when you go to corn, it's a little tougher choice. Uh, our county still looks better, and we, we we've talked about that. But you still have this you still have this SCO uh, question in there, and so and so it, uh, certainly when we were talking about this before, Jim, we 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 recommended our county for both uh, corn and soybeans. That that our county for for corn is not quite as big a no brainer uh, as it was previously, and so that's a little tougher decision, particularly when you when you also consider that you can buy SCO uh, if you go with the PLC route. Uh, if, if you're not that interested in SCO, let's say you're in northern Indiana and you go with the 85% revenue protection product uh, for corn and soybeans, I think Arc County is still a pretty safe, uh, safe way to go. Uh, if you're in southern Indiana, it's probably a little tougher decision. Yeah, and I guess I think kind of to wrap it up there, Michael, uh, as we indicated previously, if you're going the PLC route, you should be taking a pretty darn hard look at also purchasing SCO. You agree with that? You're kind of yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I think I, if you're I not going yeah. to purchase SCO, uh, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't go the PLC route. Yeah. So I think, I think we can make a that's, – that's a pretty strong recommendation in the sense that, you know, that helps you think about what you want to do. And if you're, if you're not interested in SCO, you don't want to mess with that for whatever reason, uh, you, then I think your decision becomes automatic. You go Arc County. If you're potentially interested in, in – uh, SCO, 
that puts you a little more on the fence, right? A little more of a toss-up with respect to which, which route to go. So we'll take a look, closer look yeah. at the crop insurance decision in our companion podcast. So I'm going to wrap it up for here uh, on this session now. Thanks, Brad, for joining us sure. from Nebraska. Um, and we'll have you on our next podcast along uh, as well as we cover the crop insurance decision in a little more detail. So on behalf of my colleagues, uh, Michael Langemeyer here at Purdue and Brad Lubin at the University of Nebraska, thanks for listening. I'm Jim Minter on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture. Mm-hmm.